In these uncertain times, we at Simi Valley Adventist School are committed to using every avenue of communication to support our parents and our students. As we confront what it means to learn at a distance, the entire staff is working hard to make this new remote education landscape more easily navigated. This is the Simi Valley Adventist School News and Updates. Welcome. I am the host, Stephen Stokes, principal and teacher at Simi Valley Adventist School. Join me as we discuss the latest updates of our K-8 school and support for you and your children, their education now and for eternity. Good evening, Simi Valley, May 5, 2020 at 8.30 in the evening. How is everyone? I'm good. And uh, the weather's nice out right now. It was actually quite a nice day. I hear it's going to get hot. Uh, let's get you up on some updates as I run through uh, my mind with all these things, my notes. First off, Thursday night is not an optional parent meeting. I need everybody there. We have a lot of very important things that I don't want to cover in a podcast because I know for a fact we're not, you know, we're only getting 10 or 12 of you to listen. I wish I had everybody listening, but... I understand you're not. That's okay. But uh, just in case you're listening to this, Thursday night, 7 p.m. is an actual parent meeting. We have some very important things to talk about. So please show up at the Zoom. I'll be sending out the invite several times. And I've got a few exciting ideas I want to share with you. Um, <clears throat> so we're uh, we're just going to work towards that in 7 p.m. Thursday evening Zoom. Please, uh, if you hear this podcast, share it with your friends. Let them know. That everybody really does need to be there. Okay, and beyond that, um, I'm going to save all the other big announcements for Thursday night. Because I want to—I don't want this to be a super long podcast. And, um, you know, I just, uh, I've just i got some fun stuff to talk to you about tonight. <clears throat> and it all centers around what, what do we teach? You know, what is a curriculum? And as you're going through all of this time at home with the students and you're watching what they learn, it may come across your mind as about, excuse me, why are we studying this? Why are we studying that? And quite honestly, education is going to change. One of the things I've always believed in, and I'm not going to go into tonight about memory and how students access information and how it's been able to be assessed but uh, <clears throat> I had a friend growing up who wasn't very good in school, and his name was Billy. But I'll tell you what, Billy was, he was good with his hands, and boy, he, when we went on Pathfinders, that kid could start a fire within moments. He knew what things to do, and he had different things of interest. And one of the things we're finding out is that interest plays a huge role in what students Dude, it plays a role in your life, right? I mean, <clears throat> you may have gone into a field that interested you. Um, in my senior year, I took a test. It was this huge inventory, and it said that I had some options of what... The way they said it was this. My interest lined up with the interests of people in these other categories. And it turned out that, in fact, it was education... Or armed forces. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know how they got those two together, but they did. And um, I was like, nah, 
you know, I'm going to be this or that. And in the end, I I was really drawn to education in the field in the end um, because of the lifestyle and, and the way it afforded me the fact that I was interested in a lot of things. And I love learning. And um, so your interest impact your level of, I believe they impacts your level of memory and your level of recall. I mean, I still remember songs from the 70s, like, you know, the strangest things. <laughs> just words come back whenever I hear a song on the radio. Suddenly I just know the words. And if I don't have the song on, I, I probably couldn't tell you the words, but I can if the song comes on. So what about interests? So I decided that I'd, I'd share with you a little tale. And if you stay with me just for a few minutes here, um, I'm not going to ramble. It will come back full circle. Uh, when I lived overseas, I loved learning about the history of those countries and ups of countries outside the U.S. because of the connections to the United States history. I found those connections really fascinating. And I would compare what was happening in other countries to the culture of what was happening in America, and it, it made sense. How the interconnectivity of things, events that could be worldwide, uh, that you would seemingly have no connection, but in fact there were. And um, one of the unique characters in our uh, history of the world is Napoleon, right? So we, we all know about good old Napoleon. But um, he had a son by the name of Louis Bonaparte. And Louis um, was, uh, his wife was Hortense, and Louis served as King of Holland for a while. And um, <clears throat> there was a Napoleon III who was the nephew of Napoleon I. Okay? So there were several Napoleons, and you might have heard the name Bonaparte. And Napoleon III is a lesser-known, yet a very, very successful ruler in Europe. And uh, <clears throat> his, end, his end came about because of uh, Otto von Bismarck in, in Europe, when they eventually had a big clash. But, <clears throat> boy, I'm, I've got a cough tonight. Um, even at an early age, uh, Napoleon III was born in 1808, right? And... Uh, by 1815, it was the end of Napoleon I's reign. So Napoleon III, by the time he's just 24 years old, begins his quest of, you know, political, military things to make himself and his ideas known. It seemed to be in the Bonaparte blood. And uh, by uh, 1836, you know, and he's only he's only um, 28 years old. The the coup fails, and he goes back to exile. And finally, by the time he is um, 42, 44, he's elected president of the Second Republic. So he, he stays with it, and he becomes the president of the Republic. And he serves in that position when he's made emperor, and he stayed emperor from 1852 to 1870. So, you know, he had a good, you know, was it an uh, 18-year run as emperor added to, you know, four years. So he's, for 20 years, he ruled. And uh, during the Franco-Prussian War, he was captured and deposed of, and he dies in 1873, three years later. 
So you're probably thinking, well, what's what's that got to do with things, Steve? You're, you're Mr. Stokes, Steve, you, you know, you've, you've got this guy in uh, Napoleon the Third. Okay, well, okay, well, uh, today is Cinco de Mayo, and a lot of people believe, mistakenly, that Cinco de Mayo is the uh, Independence Day for Mexico, and that's just not true. Okay. Now, Cinco de Mayo is wildly celebrated in America. And we'll talk about that uh, also. And um, the actual Independence Day uh, is long before that. I think it was about 50 years before Cinco de Mayo, in fact, in fact happens. So, um, Cinco de Mayo happens in uh, May 5, uh, 1862. And it was a defeat over, ready, the French at what was known as the Battle of Puebla, okay? And it was during the Franco-Mexican War. And so that day, May 5, okay, is known as the Battle of Puebla Day. And we call it Cinco de Mayo. In Mexico itself, throughout the country, it's a fairly, it's a holiday, but it's a minor holiday. Whereas in the United States, it's this huge commemoration of Mexican culture, heritage, and in certain areas, Los Angeles, Chicago, Houston, New York, there are huge celebrations, which is great, but it's not Mexican Independence Day. Okay, it, it basically commemorates a single battle in 1861 when Benito Juarez, right, who is a, is a lawyer, he had been elected president of Mexico, and um, the country, Mexico had been in financial ruin after huge civil wars and major strife. And uh, the European governments who had loaned money called on Mexico to pay back their debt. And so when they wouldn't, and they couldn't, France, Britain, and Spain all send forces to Veracruz, pardon me, Veracruz in Mexico. And they're demanding repayment. France, Britain, and Spain are all sending, so they send all these naval forces, converge on Veracruz. Well, Mexico starts to renegotiate, and indeed, Britain and Spain decide, well, we don't have to do this with Mexico, fine. So they, they pull back, and they withdraw their forces for a, for a new agreement. France, however, decides to use the opportunity to carve out some Mexican territory. France is ruled by 1861, that's right, Napoleon III who's over there trying to establish, re-establish his, his, you know, his own um, legacy. So he sees Mexico as an opportunity to carve out some of that. So in eight, And by the way, at this time, France is one of the world's leading armies. Now, think about it, 1861. That's when in American history, come on all you Civil War people, that's right, Civil War, 1861, so America had its own internal problems, huge, huge problems. So the French land this huge fleet in Veracruz, and they drive Juarez and the government into retreat. And um, 6,000 troops, in fact, uh, I couldn't begin to tell you who was under the general for the French troops, but they, they set out to attack the Pueblo de Los Angeles. Now that's a small town uh, in east central Mexico which was their headquarters in the north and Juarez decides he's going to fight and they get about 2,000 loyal men 
and um, they're either indigenous or mixed ancestry, and they send them to, to, to Puebla. So you have 6,000 French troops and 2,000 loyal Mexican troops, and they're vastly outnumbered. Now, stay with me. The, the uh, little known, they're going to get this, what does this sound like, by the way? 6,000 troops versus 2,000 troops in a little town called Puebla. Ever heard of the Alamo? Okay. So these uh, poorly supplied and outnumbered Mexican troops are led by a Texas-born General Ignacio Zaragoza. They fortify the town, they prepare, and on May 5 in 1862, right, the French gather up the charm, the army, his army, and they've got he's got heavy artillery, and they lead out the assault. Alright? Now, you're probably going to go, oh, this is great, you know, and this is where they beat them back. Well, you're right. On May 5, the French lose about 500 soldiers. The Mexicans only lose about 100. And so May 5 stands as, at the, as the Battle of Puebla. Hey, it's a great success, right? It's a symbolic victory for the Mexican government, and it bolsters the resistance movement. Well, um, the problem with that is that that didn't end the, the war, Okay, because the fact is, um, even though it it was not it was a wonderful daily clash, it was not a major strategic win. Zaragoza's success represented, like like I said, a symbolic victory. But uh, France is stays in Mexico, and they defeat them. So just like. The Alamo, even though they withheld, they, they were eventually overrun. They didn't win the Battle of the Alamo. They lost. And sure enough, even though the Battle of Pueblo made five stands as that, that victory, they did lose. And um, it was a... Uh, I forget the guy's name. I'm trying to think of the actual person who took over in for Napoleon III. Um... Because eventually, uh, Napoleon III... Okay, no, no. Puebla lost... Napoleon III sends 30,000 more troops to Mexico. Okay, so instead of the six, he sends five times that many. And they're basically able to overrun Puebla. And they easily conquered Mexico City. And so everybody, Juarez and all the... They, they flee up into the mountains. And Napoleon... Oh, this is the guy. Napoleon stalls Ferdinand Maximilian von Habsburg... He is second into the line of the Austro-Hungarian throne as Mexico's ruler. All right, so get this picture. Napoleon III in Europe, he's struggling. He wants to take over Mexico. The May 5 battle, they win it, but... So Napoleon III sends 30,000 more troops and establishes the Austro-Hungarian throne, uh, second in line, as the Mexican ruler. Well, uh, back in France, you know, he's having a hard time with problems and and now here's where it comes in the civil war is wrapping up and the United States officials are now taking their mind off the civil war to more international and sure enough they put pressure on the French and they start supplying weapons to Juarez and Napoleon III's losing money left and right and he in 1866 he decides to end the French occupation of Mexico and um, Maximilian unwisely stays and briefly fought for it for a while, and then uh, he was actually executed <laughs> later on in Mexico. 
and uh, there was a little-known cavalry commander there by the name of Porfiro, Porfiro Diaz, who becomes one of Mexico's longest-serving presidents. And he is, his reign lasts until 1911, when he's disposed by the Mexican Revolution. And uh, so that's, that's where we get Cinco de Mayo. Cinco de Mayo comes because Napoleon III attacks and doesn't give, you know, doesn't, whereas Britain and Spain pull back, he attacks, and it's all about the Battle of Puebla. Uh, the fact is, September 16 is truly the Independence Day, and that commemorates the hostilities against Spanish rule in 1810, 50 years before that. And Cinco de Mayo, it really has only become more popular since what, about the 1860, I mean, 1960s. So um, it's fun and all, but it really has a connection because of this um, this uh, three-pronged situation. America was preoccupied and just didn't have the opportunity to help out. Um, but it was all based off money, right? And so he saw the opportunity took over. Um, if you ask people, if you dig into it a little bit, the timing of the French defeat at the at the First Battle of Puebla, um, people who's living in California had come here, 1860, right? It was right before, right, um, the gold rush. And uh, there was a person here at UCLA School of Medicine, the um, David uh, Hayes Bautista, was he said he was looking up birth records and death records in the 19th century when he found reports of the first celebrations of Cinco de Mayo in 1862. And uh, California Latinos were just ardent supporters, and uh, they had unilaterally already uh, abolished slavery and established citizen for non-whites, and they were now living in California as a free state. And uh, when reports came to Los Angeles of Zaragoza's victory, they, they celebrated huge. So... Um, once the war was over with, they were, they were able to send more money to help out. And um, in 1864, Napoleon, you know, after he, after, uh, he had installed Archduke Ferdinand as the emperor, when the Civil War ends, Lincoln makes it clear that he opposes the French occupation of the southern neighbor, and that starts the end of it. So we go from Napoleon III nephew of Napoleon, uh, debt, what Cinco de Mayo is really about, and the fact is that with the end of the Civil War, it really helped Mexico in their efforts to kick out the French. But that had nothing to do with the true Independence Day, September 16, which was on the Spanish. All right, so we've had a little fun here with this story of Cinco de Mayo. So what's it all about? It's all about this. If you're interested in something and you can tell a story about it, it works. It works when you have interest. It works if you find it, find it fascinating. You may have to dig a little, but if you can make it personal, if you can find connections, things become more interesting when you find connections. And so as they go through their studies, if they're struggling with something, see if you can personalize it with them. 
uh, when it comes to history or social studies, science, math, doesn't matter. Any way in which you can make a personal connection to it, it's going to help them. So I hope you uh, enjoyed a little Cinco de Mayo tour, a little history tour, and a little bit of information here and there that may have sparked an interest in the connections between Los Angeles and Mexico and the Cinco de Mayo, the real reasons for Cinco de Mayo. And uh, I hope you realize that all of this basically ends up with this. Education can be exciting and fun, but you have to have the right mindset too. So enjoy your evening. Let's say a word of prayer and we'll get out of here tonight. Thank you, Lord, for watching over us on this beautiful Tuesday, guiding and directing us. Be with all those, Lord, who are out there listening and be with their families if they're feeling sick. Guide and direct each and every one of us in all of our actions and just continually work, work with us throughout the day. Thank you, Lord, for all you've done throughout all of this time. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Simi Valley, I'll talk to you soon. <laughs>